Hi, I'm Ben and welcome to Field and Foley episode 20. Today it's an absolute pleasure to have Tyler Brennan as my guest. His multifaceted skills span game production, marketing, writing, on-screen and voiceover performances and even an interesting stint as an amateur pro wrestler. As the CEO of In The Keep LLC, an indie game development and publishing venture, Tyler's dedication extends beyond personal achievements to uplifting and connecting the community. Previously serving as a weather forecaster for the United States Air Force, his journey into game development is as intriguing as it is inspiring. Beyond his impressive role as brand manager at 3D Realms and being the talented host of the IndieKey podcast, Tyler's true mark lies in being a wonderful human being. Always focused on connecting and supporting others, he directs his efforts toward helping people. Not just an industry enthusiast, Tyler's also a dear friend, someone whose generosity and genuine care for others are truly commendable. So welcome, Ty. Glad to have you on. Wow. Uh, somebody read my LinkedIn page. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I really appreciate it, Ben. It's, a, it's an honor to finally be on your show. I've been begging you since literally like before you actually started it, when you first told me you were interested in doing it. And uh, I, I know I'm not a sound designer per se, although I did. So the, the thing is that I did do some sounds for Stellar Valkyrie before you came on and listened to them and said, these are shit, you should let me do it. And I was like, that's, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually created this podcast just so we, we could have this episode. It's like, it's all a ruse. Yeah, okay. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, but like diving right into it, uh, one thing I'd like my listeners to know is what inspired you to transition from being a weather forecaster in the Air Force to a career in game development, because that's a leap. Uh, in one word, desperation, uh, passion, maybe would be another word. But, I mean, I fucking hate it. I, I don't want to trash on the Air Force, and I don't, because they might come get me. But, uh, no, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to just say, in like, blanket statement, say it was a bad experience, because I learned a lot of valuable things, and it was a big part of my life. But, uh, you know, I was fucking miserable, doing what I was doing and I wanted to, well, I, for the first, I don't know, I was there for six years. The first three years I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was just kind of doing the military to figure that out, to kind of give myself some space in life to stop, breathe and think about what, what do I want from this life? Yeah. And uh, around the three year mark is when I got really, really, really into quake, like to a near like obsessive autistic level. And I was uh, really interested in this podcast called The State of Quake. It was ran by two dudes named Unkind and Slip, and occasionally another dude named D-Ron, where they just covered Quake Champions, basically. And I really loved their podcast, and I wanted to contribute, so then that's kind of how In the Keep got started. And from, from there, I interviewed... I don't know. There, I've got like thousands of hours probably of interviews with game devs, and then around the time of... Realms Deep 2021, I got it in my head. Like, I think I could do that. Like, I think I think I could do that. Probably. <laughs> and one of the things that I like to do, I have this YouTube video that I, or I was interviewed at Gamescom. You were there, actually, where I said, like, they were asking me about going to college for games. And I'm thinking about that. I'm like, 
you know, if you go to college and you get like this degree that says you're accredited for like X number of hours in classes learning about whatever, I'm like, well, I don't have a piece of paper, but I could like fucking literally show you. Can I cuss? Yeah, of Sorry. course you can. Okay. I could literally show you like the interviews where I'm talking long form to people who are more educated probably on the subject than your college professor. Uh, so that is kind of how it, it all came to be. And then by the time my contract was up, I had already gotten a job offer at uh, 3DR and Fred Schreiber, you know, was like, come do that. So that was my, the beginning of my production career. That's awesome. Or at least officially. Yeah. And now you work as the brand manager at 3DR and what, like, what exactly do you do in your role? Just for people that don't know what that is. Oh, nothing. Like I just kind of hang out and, you know, annoy people, play Grand Theft Auto <laughs> on my laptop. No, uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I find I've always made fun of the fact that job titles are kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. Like whatever your job title is, is probably just nonsense. And no matter what your field is, I mean, in your case, it's like sound designer. Well, what does that really mean? I mean, that it could mean a lot of different things, but in, in the case of brand management in, uh, in video games, typically this means someone whose job it is to put together the, the market plans for the games. So while a game is in production, you come up with the strategy for how you are going to sell it to an audience. And that that's like a sometimes multiple years long, sometimes a few months, sometimes, you know, a year or nine months, whatever the, you know, serves the purpose of the particular title you're working on. And you plan out all of the social media, you plan out all of the conventions that you're going to go to, the trailers that are going to drop, the dev blogs, everything. So Another part of it is just being in constant communication with the developers themselves and making sure they have everything they need, making sure that they're on track, making sure that uh, their you know relationships say good and no one's got like you know reading into anything the wrong way or whatever. I mean, it's basically just a babysitting job, just like being a producer. <laughs> it's <laughs> being a mom. Being a mom, yeah, to yeah. all the devs. Yeah, I mean that that touches perfectly on on your like start of the career of like talking to devs and, and being in contact and trying to, yeah, trying to organize and, and connecting people and, and projects. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I totally agree with you with the job titles thing because I've been struggling myself. I recently changed it to like sound designer and recording specialist because I have so many things where I'm just out recording something and that's the thing that I'm delivering. Right. So it's not a sound design at all. But also, I mean, what is a recording specialist? I mean, it's, I have no idea. I just made it up because it sounded fancy. But in the end, I'm, I'm beginning to not give a shit at all because I don't want to apply for a job with the job title. I want people to know me and say, hey, I need something for this. Um, you do sound good. Um, do you want to work on that? And that's essentially also how it happened. Like, um, I mean, you you introduced me to 3D Rums and... Uh, Gave me the, the opportunity to work on combustion, which I really like. And um, just recently, a good friend of mine has like basically just gave my contact info to an indie game developer and said like, "Hey, I can't do sound, but I know no guy that can." And so, yeah, they they don't care what my job title is. It's like <laughs> they know what they need, and I'm I'm I can provide it. Noise engineer. Noise engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Master of noise. <laughs> or like a, you know, like a, what, what's the word? Energy transferred through air particle specialist. Mm -hmm. Air wiggles, yeah. <laughs> That's a nice community, by the way. Shout out to air wiggles. It's like the social media for sound people. It's very nerdy. I bet, I bet it's but a wonderful. bunch of fucking dweebs. Yeah. <laughs> total, just like people like you with purple mohawks and 
<laughs> it's you're not in, purple. It's blue right now. You're in hippie. I'm colorblind. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I forgot literally that. can't tell the difference. I always forget that. I don't know why. I always forget that. It's but not yeah. important. It's like it's like the most the most mild disability I think you could possibly have. Yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter to sound. So as long as you can hear good sound, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> so yeah, but then you work at a brand as a brand manager. But why the wrestling? And how does that like tie in with other endeavors? Is this something that is like connects to your job? Because I mean, it's basically a bit of showmanship as well, right? So, um, I mean, that's a that's a whole different topic that I'm not sure your sound design uh, audience wants to get into, but I'm happy to tell it. Yeah, sure. I mean, let's go on a tangent. I've been uh, obsessed with pro wrestling since I was a baby. Like, I'm, I mean, I, I remember watching like Kane and the Undertaker on TV when I was a little boy. Like, very. In fact, my middle name is Kane, and I thought that my mom named me after him, even though that's completely not true. Like, it, he came out like two years after I was born. But I was just always loved wrestling so much. Um, then when I was in high school, uh, me and my friends were. A bunch of stupid rednecks. I grew up in Alabama, so we did a lot of backyard trampoline, hardcore wrestling, like smashing each other with Guitar Hero controllers and you know <laughs> metal pans or whatever we could find, and uh, getting power bombed on the hood of cars or anything we could do to to just you know reenact what we were seeing on TV. If you're a parent and you think that kids don't do things just because they see them on TV, you are dead wrong. <laughs> like it's it's totally wrong. But yeah, we were we were having a lot of fun, and then I just decided when I was about 17 that that's what I wanted to do for a career. So when I graduated high school, I went directly to a school called WWA4. It's ran by uh, Mr. Hughes up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I did like a week-long camp there where I learned like the basic, you know, kind of techniques of this is how a ring works and this is how the sport works and all that sort of thing. Although I, I, th I think I fundamentally understood how to do wrestling moves, but like the actual, you know, fundamentals of it is what I was lacking. So I, I learned a lot of that there. And then when I came back, I ended up with a private trainer named Dalton Cross, God rest his soul. Um, and I ended up doing a bunch of wrestling shows just around the Southeast and Gulf Coast. Um, and I loved it. And then I uh, was actually injured uh, pretty badly in a training accident. I got hit in the head with a steel chair. Had a horrible concussion and a bunch of staples in my head, and I was about oh nineteen at the mm. time. That explains a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit crazy because of that, amongst other things. Um, and then I, I kind of had to reconsider my life at that point. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not making any money at this, uh, and I'm hurt right now, so I can't do any of it. Uh, so, I mean, I had this job as a as an electrician's apprentice, but that was also not paying worth the shit. So I decided to join the Air Force. Um, I tested really high on my entry score, so I was like, give me the hardest job you could possibly give me. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. Nice. Um, and then I failed out of that first job, which was to be a linguist. I learned a bit of Arabic, but I wasn't exactly up to pace with the, with the rest of the class. So I ended up retraining into weather, which is also very difficult, but in, in a different way. A bit more, you know, science related instead of just linguistics. So I did that for the next four years. Uh, and then when I got here to Denmark, uh, when we were planning Realms Deep, where you may have seen me get choke slammed off the stage, I had already gotten in, in contact with a local wrestling company called Body Slam. And they invited me down to their training center. And I was like, 
fuck, I really love this. You know, <laughs> I really miss this. So actually last week, uh, if you're listening to this now, it's, you know, early, early January, 2024. But last week was my first match in about 10 years. Awesome. That's cool. And now you're not dependent on like income for it. So you can do it for the fun of it. That's great. Just fun. Yeah. Just for yeah. fun. But now, I mean, you're a brand manager, you do wrestling and then also you have this company in the Keep LLC. So could you share a bit more about like what this is and what your vision is for it or your all your visions? Because it's not just you, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the, the company is me and uh, Josh Gilmo. He's my business partner and we've, we, we founded in the Keep together officially a long time ago, uh, back when, before we even knew you, if you believe that. But uh, yeah, we just kind of had this vision to do, uh, I was already doing the podcast, but we wanted to do more video game related production. So we did a lot of tournaments and streams and uh, charity events. So if anybody saw the Pigeon Classics back in the day, or we had this one that was like right at 2020 called Going the Social Distance, where we raised a bunch of money for like the uh, Florence Nightingale Foundation. It was just a lot of fun, but yeah, we wanted to make it legit. So after, like I said earlier, after Realm Steep 2020, I got it in my head. I'm like, I think I could like gather a couple of people that I think are awesome and make a game happen. So that's that at that point is when I had uh, contacted Uber, who is the director of Stellar Valkyrie. And also at the time, a guy named Scumhead, um, who was the artist at first. And we just came up with the idea of the game and we've been working on it slowly but surely ever since. I'm hoping that it comes out one of these days, but I'm in no rush because, you know, we all have real jobs. We all have full-time gigs and yeah. it's it's not like I, I don't see in the keep right now as something that I need to put pressure on myself to turn into a big thing. It's like I have the freedom to kind of take my time to do whatever I want with it. And so instead of making it an additional source of stress, I just make it like this fun thing that we can all do together on the side. Yeah. And so it was... You were motivated to start like the gaming company right at the beginning. It wasn't about the podcast, so, or was it like started with the podcast first, and then you thought like, oh, maybe we can also make a game. The company was founded before we became a game development studio. Yeah, so it, in it the was beginning, about it was yeah. producing uh, live streaming for esports and podcasts. And I mean, <laughs> doing so much stuff, uh, also also wrestling on the side, and this job and making a game here and having a podcast though like recently you, you haven't released new episodes but still um how how do you balance all your roles the different jobs the different companies i don't is it like yeah, yeah you don't no i'm a mess <laughs> i'm like a complete total absolute mess like, to be honest with you that's that the, the truth is i'm struggling but i don't know i managed to keep a happy face on and just kind of roll with the punches mm. And I mean, there's there's nothing that you can really drop because everything is fun, right? Why? You know, uh, I could, I have dropped many things, but like those are the things that I'm kind of not willing to negotiate on. Like I won't let I won't let in the keeps vision die. I won't let Call of Ragnar or Stellar Valkyrie go out of my sight. Uh, not as long as I can do anything about it. I love that stuff. Uh, wrestling is just a side hobby that doesn't take up a lot of time, to be honest with you. And then 3D Realms is most of my life at this point yeah and i mean from from all your years doing the podcast can you share anything any highlights that you had 
during the podcast where it's like, do you have any favorite episodes or any moments in time where you're like, oh, fuck, now I'm like a real podcast. I have this specific guest or something happened that like really made this, made this feel, I don't know, impactful. Yeah, uh, there are definitely, I mean, there, I, I, it's like picking which of your children you like the most, but you know, uh, to be, I think the moment when I realized that it, it actually meant something was when I went to QuakeCon 2019 and I interviewed Andrew Holschult in a hotel room. And, you know, it was like before that I was sort of just like super indie and I was interviewing like, you know, pro Quake players or like people making indie boomer shooters and that kind of stuff. But once Andrew was on the show, it was like, now if I show someone the catalog and I say like, hey, would you be interested in doing the show? And they read Andrew Holschult's name. They were like, oh, well, if Andrew did it, I mean, it must be legit. Mm. So then it started rolling. Then it was like, now I've got David Szymanski from Dusk, and I had Dave Oshry on at one point. I had Stephen Kick from Night Dive, uh, and I, of course, met Fred Schreiber through the podcast as well, So, and he's my boss now. Uh, I've, I've got so, – Disaster Piece was probably my, one of my favorite episodes that I ever did because mm, – That was wonderful. I was a huge fan of his. I mean, I was following him since Fez, way before he was in the movies or, or even Hyperlight Drifter or any of that stuff, so I was like – mesmerized by this guy for a very very long time and when i finally got to interview him it was just a, it was like a dream come true and there are many others i mean so some of my best friends are people who i just interviewed on the podcast once and then we just hit it off mm. uh you and damian and tony included yeah i mean we, we met even before we had the podcast right because like you came on the call of Ragnar team and then no um, no i interviewed you guys oh you interviewed us first right as, uh, as just guests the and then i kept asking Damian annoying questions about his production plan and like his business model. And then he was like, do you want to just like be the project manager on this? And I was, I actually applied for the job by writing a PowerPoint like presentation about why he didn't need me. And then at the end of it, he decided he still needed me. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was a wise choice, man. It was a wise choice. I still yeah. think that. No, that's wonderful. Oh yeah. I always thought it, that the podcast came after that, but still, I mean, yeah, we became friends through that, and uh, yeah, now we are like entangled somehow, yeah. which is it's, weird. That's how the universe works, man. Like it just—we're just all particles colliding together randomly, and you—you uh, you meet, you meet up with you know positive and negatively charged particles, and they stick together forever, and that, that's how it works. And then we blast through entropy together, and hopefully one day we all just go out in another big bang and start a new universe or something akin to that. <laughs> so something akin to that we all go back to star stuff uh, um, yeah. but what's what's really for me what's really like remarkable about you is that you're you have this inherent drive at least from my perspective to connect people together without having any sort of interest in like personal gain you know what i mean like it's you see two people or you you know people and you're like, oh shit, you should talk to this person because I think you could hit it off or I think you could work together. And it's just, at least from my experience, it's always because you know that that has to happen somehow. That's like, oh, these people need to meet. There, there will something great will come out of this. And often it does. And what what drives you to like just connect people? Is it like something you can't name or is it something where it's like, it's enjoyable for you to see people flourish and being friends or what is it what's in your mind empathy empathy 
And if that if there's one word to describe it, it's just empathy. Like I I see people who, you know, have talents that they want to exercise, and I see someone else who has a, a talent that could be complemented by the other person's talent, and I'm like, I feel. I don't want to get all hippy dippy on you because I was making fun of y'all earlier <laughs> for being hippies, but you know, like the truth is, like I, I really do. Like I I feel like I feel uh their uh, their their emotions and their their drive and their like I can just tell there's something here hmm. that needs to come out. Uh, oftentimes, especially with production or even with brand management, now uh, I like to describe it like. Uh, Look at great artists of any kind, any medium, um, even as far as like the sciences and architecture or anything like that. People who do great works do it because they absolutely feel like they fucking have to. Mm. I mean, you shouldn't write a novel unless you feel like you have to or else you'll just end up bankrupt. <laughs> like that's how that works. Uh, you shouldn't make a video. You should not be in video games unless you are willing to die for it. And I mean that when I say it, like don't, don't even – you know, like if it's not the most important thing to you, other than like you know family, you know children, whatever. That's of course that, but like your passion in life, don't even don't even try it. It's not worth it. It's just gonna hurt you. Uh, but many times, great artists who feel like they can't get it out of them, and they end up dead. They end up dying of suicide or drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever and it's because they have this need to just make themselves understood and i like to say that if they could do that by just saying it out loud with words or writing it down on a piece of paper then they would and then they would be done but you know for someone like frederick strum he needs to make combustion for someone like damian mosetish he needs to make call of seregnar that is his brain baby that's like really within his heart mm. He wants that so badly, and I can just feel it, and I want to do everything that I can to help him exercise that. Um, that's who I am, man. Like, I felt that way my entire life. Uh, you know, to get kind of deep about it, like my mother used to always say that about me, like you would do anything for someone you care about, and that is uh, that is how I operate. Yeah, that's really – I mean, that's just, I can feel it the same way, but I I don't know. I, I mean, I've started as well connecting people um, because – I'm guessing hanging out with you <laughs> has somehow colored myself in that way of thinking, in that way of, oh, I should I should tell this person to talk to this person because I'm guessing they have something in common or they can they both have this drive, just like you said, like with with Damian or or with Fred, like you can really feel that. And when you have other people that also have a drive and work on something that yeah, could complement that, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um so yeah, you 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 certainly Uh, influenced me in my way of thinking of trying to also connect people together and uh, it's cool it's it, it feels like it's it's this wave of yeah just like you said it's an empathy thing it's this wave of feeling good for other people and it's just multiplying it's it's not taking away anything from anyone else so there's yeah there's no downside to it yeah basically so I mean, not to project my own drives onto others because I don't think that's necessarily fair, but I mean, I feel like most people really, really, really want to feel like someone else understands. And I think that, I mean, even with a little bit of studying of linguistics or, or even computer language or, or if you're into general artificial intelligence now, um, but anything, people want 
to be able to take what's in their heart or in their brain and have someone else look at it or experience it and hopefully spark a similar feeling in the other person. I mean, that is what communication literally is. That's what sign language is. That's what it, it's the ability to use something to make another person uh, experience the same idea that you have in your mind. And I think that that is the, like the fundamental to the human experience, not even just the human experience. I mean, like animals do this as well. So do plants, so do fungi. Um, it's life. It's a really beautiful thing that I think is uh, absolutely sacred and something that needs to be fostered. And it's like a, it's a duty. If you're the kind of person who is meant to just be part of that puzzle, uh, you know, like if you're just a, if you feel like, like you're a cog on the wheel or something, but you're just happy to, to serve, then that's beautiful too. But if you're a, a natural leader, then it's your, it's, it's like your, excuse me for whatever like language I choose to try to convey this idea, but it's your like God given duty to, to do that or else you're just wasting your potential. Mm. So you should try. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that if you don't pursue that, that uh, will make you depressed in the end because yeah, it's, it's going against your own nature of the things and uh yeah yeah and I, i i agree with you also with the with the being understood part and i always like in the past i've always thought like in the far past in my youth in 19 no um but uh, i always thought like if you can like express your feelings to the very last detail that another person could understand it exactly the same way um, which is foolish, <laughs> but as I said, I was young, but then for me, like the pivotal moment came when, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Steffen actually showed me a movie that he really enjoyed and we watched it together. It was uh, Solaris. Um, unfortunately not the Russian version, but the American version, but still, I, I love that movie. And the cool thing is that we both really enjoyed it and it made him feel very hopeful and happy. And it made me feel alone and depressed <laughs> And it was the same movie and we both had an interesting experience. And actually like right now or like many years later, um, I now feel the same way. I now feel also hopeful and it also gives me the same feeling. But it's just because also my personality and my, my, my life and everything has changed. But it made me realize that what's really cool about arts, it doesn't matter in what kind of form, if it's music or video games or movies, is just... It's just your expression of your things and then it goes out there and everyone else has their personal experience and it will never be exactly the same. And that's in some way beautiful. Um, it used to make me depressed because it, it meant for me like, oh, no one can ever understand me 100%. But now it's like this, it doesn't matter because like you can, you can connect on so many different points and even if you don't feel exactly the same thing, that's, it's not about that. It's about yeah, just communicating and sharing experiences. And they will always be different. How many parties have you been to that have at some point devolved into like everyone's half drunk and they're just like putting on YouTube videos or showing each other memes on their phone or whatever? It's like, look at this. And it's like, to me, a lot of that stuff can be quite annoying, to be honest with you. But, yeah, same. Uh, but the, what's going on there is this intense need for one human to share something with another human and to say, to see that that other person gets it. Like, oh, he gets it. And usually your best friends are the people you just like, that motherfucker gets it. You know, he understands. That's what people use that in their language all the time. He understands. She understands me. 
your your wife, you might say that about you know your your best friends, your your parents, your your children, even is like the, probably the most ultimate form of that. It's like you know that's your literal DNA in that little person. So when they enjoy something that you show them, that's like oh, I'm a good parent. <laughs> Unless it's like serial murderers, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> of course, I mean if you're if you're if you're a great serial murderer and you teach your kid to be a great serial murderer and you bond over you that, done at least, job, yeah, yeah, maybe you're a good parent. <laughs> To a degree. <laughs> For your standards and your morals, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, reminds me of Dexter, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a good example, actually. I, lo I yeah. quite love that show. And it, it's like him and his sister have that really interesting dynamic where it's like she doesn't ever, she'll never really understand him, but at least she cares enough about him to kind of displace some of her, what you know, some, some of the things that she would usually find disgusting. Yeah, and and just let him be who he is. It's a really beautiful relationship. Yeah, it was a it was an amazing story arc. Um, great, great writing and and the acting was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of understanding things, I want to touch on the current state of the game industry because, I mean, it doesn't matter when people hear this because it's been going on for a while and it's it's gonna be going on up and downwards forever. But there have been massive layoffs uh, in big studios and little studios, uh, also at 3D Realms where you work, and um, more so like Slipgate Ironworks and and um, the Embracer Group. So, like, what is your take on the current state of the game industry? Why this is happening, and what does this mean for, for example, people right now, like sound people that are searching for a job? Excuse me, I just like, before I jump into this, I will say that there there are some there's some degree of this that I have to be vague about because I don't want to, of course, I don't want to talk about any particular person's, you know, job, you know, if that makes sense, but I, I will comment on the industry as a whole for sure. Yeah. Um, as you know, as a podcaster and as, even as a writer, uh, I was, I, I really deeply analyzed the, uh, especially that kind of like higher grade indie sphere for quite a long time. And now I'm in it. Uh, and it did it in the while I was in it, it became not indie anymore. It became like, Oh shit, there's corporate money now. So, uh, I've gotten to kind of learn firsthand, but the way that I see it is, uh, the, the industry got too big for its britches during COVID. I mean, you had, uh, before that for the, the years leading up to it, I think that dusk was like a perfect storm. Uh, speaking of like the, the indie first person shooter kind of market, Uh, that game was right place, right time, right marketing, everything, like the lightning caught in a bottle, you yeah. know, uh, everything. Uh, whatever you think of the game itself doesn't really matter. It sold a lot of money, and David Szymanski is like a millionaire now, so kiss my ass. Uh, but people in general, in, in my peer group and in, in the, the kind of level of – game company that would have competed with New Blood at the time, everybody saw that and everybody wanted a piece of the pie. <laughs> and if you looked at New Blood's business model, which, uh, I mean, I would welcome Dave Oshry to to come on your show and, and correct me or even tell me anything. I have huge respect for that guy. I'm a huge fan. I've always loved him and he's always been super kind to me. But everybody saw what he was doing and they're like, that's the way to do it. And the thing is that it kind of works for him, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. <laughs> uh, but they had this kind of model where it was like, 
you know, you, you find a guy who's making a game kind of solo and then you just introduce him into the group and then everybody kind of bands around them to help them ship the game eventually. And they, they don't have deadlines, they don't crunch, et cetera, all that kind of thing. Um, Night Dive Studios is also a great example uh, of a company that found their exactly their niche, you know, just like taking old games and porting them. You know, and then now they have like fucking contracts with Star Wars and <laughs> System Shock was like game of the year or something like that. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But everybody, everybody in the games industry in that kind of just below the the becoming like a corporate publicly traded sort of thing wanted to recreate that. And the thing is you're not going to catch lightning in the bottle twice. Like it's it's like the, the ship of indie shooters kind of sailed about four years ago. <laughs> that was the time to make money on it. Um Granted, there are still many great ones coming out and all, but it's just like it's, they're not going to be dusk again. At least not for another 10 or 15 years when the cycle repeats itself. So uh, during COVID, everybody was laid off or, you know, at home, working from home. Uh, all the hobbyist video game people were like, I can make a game. And then Realms Deep, you know, that was my baby. We promoted the shit out of it. I mean, we were like, let's fucking go. Everybody can make a game. Like Oprah Winfrey, like you get a game, you get a game, you get a game. And if you are, if you just want to make a game and you're not worried about that being your livelihood, hell yeah. Mm. Uh, but the thing is that like a lot of companies started hiring up all of these people, like lots and lots of people were hired. They could work remotely. They could, you know, fucking just turn their indie dream into a massive success. And then there's a lot of corporate buyouts happened at the same time. And there was just money forever. And then COVID ended and everybody went back to their day jobs and everybody went back to real life and started hanging out with people again instead of sitting in their basements, eating fucking flaming Hot Cheetos and drinking Code Red Mountain Dew and making games. And then uh, suddenly the market has to correct itself. And that's what we're experiencing at this moment in my analysis. Yeah. That's also that's also my feeling of it. But it's it's like... Yeah, how how do you see then like the landscape of the indie game development in the next few years? Is it like now is the crash, everyone gets laid off, and then from the ashes rise riseth a new a new companies, new new projects? Yeah, in like two years there's gonna be a bunch of great new indie studios that pop up. No doubt about it. Mm. No doubt about it. Like it, over the next course of the next two years there will be dozens, if not, you know, if not hundreds of great indie studios that rise from the ashes. But right now it's like the, the market has to correct itself. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we have such an uneducated fan base, not just we, when I like me, you and I, I mean like the video game games industry as a whole has a, a lot of people who love playing games and have absolutely zero context for how the sausage gets made. Absolutely. And so that they, what they want is they want the game to come out on time and be of the highest quality and for everyone to be treated fairly along the way and for no one to crunch and for everything to work out great and for no business to ever have to lay anyone off and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's a fucking fantasy. That is an absolute ridiculous idea. It's, it doesn't exist. It's not real. Sorry. I mean, maybe on Baldur's Gate 3 or something like that, but that is uh, like a unicorn of a 
of a project and of a company, but and that all that also no, doesn't happen. Not. Like no, they're not. The people at Larian will be laid off over the course of the years, and people at probably Lar- yeah. like it, the people. There probably were many layoffs at during the development of the game, and then they rehire or whatever. Like mm. it's how businesses work, man. I'm not. I'm not trying to say it's a good thing, but it's just like that's how it fucking functions. You are a cell on a body, and you get scratched off when you're not needed, or sometimes people make really shitty, stupid mistakes or or bad calls, and of course that sucks. But like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like jump on you there. I just no, <laughs> it's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I'm 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 really totally on board with you with this unedicated um, part because that's also something. That when I talk to people that are not in the industry or don't have any idea or just gamers that ask me like, yeah, how's the work on, on this game and how's, how's game development and so on. I always try to steer the conversation to, if they want to hear, to explain them how games are made. Because I see so many situations where you really feel like this is, okay, video games aren't there for a long time already. And so there's not much pro knowledge and, and public knowledge about just like I said, how game development happens. One of the, for me, one of the most obvious examples is the the games that are in early access or that are on Kickstarter or Patreon or whatever that start out, and then the people realize, oh, this game had in the end doesn't have all those features, and it's maybe a different genre, and it also is three years late, and it's like, yeah, that's how games are made. Like you try stuff, and if it doesn't work, you shift to something else, and at some point you like you don't have this big stone and you want to make this figure out of that and you make it exactly as planned you 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 let like the stone speak to you and at some point maybe it's a racing game but it could also be like a co-op survival game at the end i mean obviously not like that extreme but oftentimes it's really that crazy where it's like okay we planned for it to be a multiplayer title but it does work way better than a, for like a solo player experience and with all those features scrapped and instead all those features. And in the end, it's a great game. And But people are pissed because they're like expected it to be something else and to be, as you said, like on time and without crunch. But that's not how the sausage is made. And that's that's something that is, I mean, for, for the movie industry, we have for many years, we had this behind the scenes. We had interviews. We had so many people knew that it's like, okay, you need so much money to make this and you need so much time to make a certain kind of movie and a certain kind of thing. And I think people, yeah, right now know that. They know that there's a certain style of, of making movies and there's a certain yeah order of events. But with, with video games, it's just like, I, I guess all this public image comes from you as a gamer or as a consumer getting wind of the game normally with the first trailer. And not realizing it has been in production for three or four years already. Oh yeah, I wanted that first trailer because it's always this. Oh, this trailer, and then it it takes like two years, and then the game comes out. So, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that another huge mistake over the past several years has been people announcing games before they knew that they were actually gonna come out, and then and then what the public perception is that it was delayed and delayed, and you lied to us. (laughs) It was like no circumstances fucking changed like big time. Like we went through the pandemic and like a massive economic shift in the world, and people moving. In my case, moving across the whole fucking planet to get into a better life situation, and 
and yet we're still like, uh, like, why is this late? Like, well, man, it's it's not as easy as you think. But in general, like, uh, companies, uh, again, in that same kind of peer group, could have all stood to have just not announced anything until they knew for sure it was going to come out. And I, I know a lot more about marketing now than I did then. So, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. No, I, I just wanted to say it's like, I don't know why this shift has, has been happening because it's all also happening not just with, with small studios, but also with bigger ones announcing stuff way before it starts. I mean, just talking about Starfield, which I didn't enjoy it at all and I didn't enjoy the marketing, but it was announced like way too early. And yeah, and so many games like No Man's Sky that had this, um, I mean, they had this amazing story in my opinion. I was I was skeptical when the first announcement came with, with No Man's Sky, and I was like, eh, new studio, and they, they promise a lot of things, and he seems very enthusiastic. And I think I was I was skeptical because I know Peter Molyneux, and I, I've, I've had all those game launches before, so I was a bit of burnt child there. So, um, But then, yeah, they, they redeemed themselves. But in the end, if you look at it, it's like it has taken, I don't know how many years, eight years, nine years, ten years, for the game to be in the state that you could say, okay, this is the game they promised many years ago. And um, that's the normal, it's almost a normal cycle, at least for a massive project like that. For and, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, hopefully, I don't know how we can, we as an industry <laughs> or as people in the industry can change that. Maybe we can educate people with more behind the scenes stuff and announcing it that's later than it should be. podcast is, right? Like, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. it's also, yeah, it's also about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's also, it is about sound and it is about recording, but also uh, I have people on, that seemingly have nothing to do with sound, M namely, for example, you. But you also do, for example, voiceover stuff. So, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. You do voiceover for games sometimes, uh, as a cameo, or <laughs> well, I'll probably have a lot of voiceover in uh, in my own games. And I was also, I think, I, I think I will be a character in Stellar Valkyrie, assuming Damian likes the photos that were provided to him. But uh, you mean I'm sorry, Call of Ragnar? Yeah, yeah. I get golly, holy cow, <laughs> too many games. Um, but I mean, the first one was uh, Scythe Dev Team made that game, uh, Happy's Humble Burger Farm, which mm. is a tremendous, tremendous game. Like, if you're listening to this and you haven't played that, it's tremendous, like, really good. Yeah, it's it it just not expensive. Uh, it's worth it. <laughs> but they wanted to do, like, a kind of radio thing sort of similar to the GTA model where it's like if you're driving or you're in a place with a radio like you can change the channel or like, there's all this kind of you know kind of a hundred hours of content that's constantly flowing uh, and so there was just like this short segment that I did that was like a mock in the keep radio show uh, where I'm talking about a fake game called geriatric genocide <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that uh, and it was just I did that totally pro bono i was just like i just want to be part of it like i, I love john at the shred especially but everybody over at the scythe dev team they're awesome i've been following them uh since they were in the dread x collections uh so i was just happy to be part of that and then i think later um i got reached out to by the the gentleman who's making slayers x testament and he was like you want to be in this game i'm making i'm like yeah and then i didn't hear anything from like a year and then I reached back out and I was like, hey, whatever happened to that? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's the script. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so I just, uh, yeah, I think I did it most of it in like one day. Uh, and I played uh, the Mevin Raniels, the, the main protagonist of the game, or antagonist, I should say. Uh, the protagonist is a totally different, like Zane. 
and I don't know. It was just fun. It was, it didn't, it, it wasn't like I didn't do it because I wanted to make money or be a voice actor. It was just because I was kind of confused about the offer. I mean, I guess people hear my voice a lot because of the podcast or because of Realms Deep or whatever, but I don't know. I, it, it was just funny because I was like, do you want me to do like a voice or an accent? And he's like, no, no, no. This guy's like a dumb redneck. So just be yourself. <laughs> was, you were like, born for this. I was born for this role. Like, yeah, perfect. So uh, it was just fun. And I'm open to do, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're trying to commission a dumb redneck uh, to, to Jack Nicholson, your game, I'm happy to do it. But it's not something that I see myself like as a career. It's like, it's just fun. Yeah. Same here. If you need someone with a strong German accent, I can do that for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now I would really like to to have like a voiceover thing as well, and I don't know why, but I I kind of feel it's it's fun to do. Um, and I know like I know I would just do an amateurish job at it because I've I've worked with voice actors and it's like it's seriously hard work, and uh, especially in Skywind when when we like when new people came on and we had to test for for the quality of the microphones, I had so many auditions that were absolutely stellar where it's like oh holy fuck why do you apply to this like free game but um i'm guessing i mean yeah of course it's the the morrowind ip and people love that game but it's like if you if you see someone bring a character to life um especially like in a video game um i'm guessing it's it's almost the same for for animated or for for 3d pixar movies um the voice is really the one that that makes it feel real or not real because if you have great graphics or even if you don't have that great graphics if the voiceover is bad it takes you out if you have either the quality is bad and you hear it's like someone in his basement recording um or if the performance is bad it's like this bad play in front of you but if hits if it hits you on an emotional level and for me it, this is always like with the audio if if it's really good audio even if the graphics aren't like realistic your mind kind of yeah, connects the dots and, and makes it feel more real than it is in my mind. I feel like voice acting is one of those things that were, so there's like a lot of different things. It's just like real acting. I shouldn't say real. That's, that sounds like I'm putting it down, but like, you know, you have your people like I already said Jack Nicholson. So I'll say him again, you know, who just, whatever role he's in, he's just Jack Nicholson as insert character. Right. And then you have like your Daniel Day Lewis's who can like do a million voices and a million characters, and like you know, if, or he could he could be in the movie the whole time and you don't even realize it's him until you see the credits, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so like you you have voice actors who can do all these different voices, and you'll never know that it was that person. And then you have voice actors like myself who are not really voice actors; they're just like you're hiring me for my voice specifically, right? And it's two different things. Both of them have their merit and their value, but like there's an art to doing voices, which I can't do. I mean, maybe I could do like a Scottish accent if I really tried to do my Robert Brown impression. Shout out to Kingpin. But you know, yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting. There's like, like Chris, uh, who's the, the guy who plays Falco and Stellar Valkyrie. He's like a real actor. Like he he's going to Rutgers in New Jersey and like studying the Meisner technique and doing deep breathing meditation crap all day long and like really getting into characters and studying them and doing Tennessee Williams plays on the weekends and shit. I saw that guy. He dragged me out to like a stand up comedy one night, like a like a open mic night for stand up comedians, and he got on stage and he's just 
said into the microphone, he's like, I am actually not a comedian. Uh, and then he just started doing Henry the fourth and he did like a whole scene by himself. And then he just walked off stage and no one gave a fuck. They were like, who the, who is this guy? And I was like, yo dude, why did you do that? And he was, I thought it was hilarious. Like I, it was funnier than any of the open mic comedians anyway. So, but I was like, uh, why did you do that? And he goes, he says, if I can do that in front of an audience that is absolutely hostile to me, I will never, ever be nervous in an audition ever again. And I was like, that's pretty wise, dog. That's pretty. That is great, yeah. And he is amazing. I mean, the first time I heard like the voice lines in Stella Valkyrie, I was like, oh, fuck, that, that hits the spot. It's like the 90s kind of gritty coolness in there, and it fits the character and was like just so much fun to work with that material. So, yeah, yeah shout out. Shout out to Chris. Well, he's going to, like, he'll probably be on your favorite movies and TV in, like, five or six years, to be honest with you. I'm like guessing he's... that as well. I have to snatch him up for the podcast before he's famous so I can, like, be the, the nerd that, that had him first. That would be wise. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, as we're talking about, like, voice acting and stuff, um, one question I always like to ask my guests, and I'm interested to hear what you say, is um, what is the first sound you ever recorded and why did you record it? It was probably me and my brother... Uh, my older brother, Derek, is who's still my best friend in like the whole freaking world. Uh, this is going to be a way more fun story than any of your fucking stupid sound design people. <laughs> uh, it, but it was us recording our voices and stuff. Like we would, uh, we were really into like jackass. Like we were the right age for that. So I think he got like a early freaking phone, like one that had a sound recorder on it. And he was trying to pick up chicks and stuff, you know, because he was like that age and I was a little bit younger, but I was, you know, old enough to get what we were doing, but not old enough to have the same amount of interest, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would record ourselves like doing funny voice, <laughs> voicemail box things. And I could play the guitar. So I would be like playing acoustic guitar, like really sexy sounding music. And he would be like, hello, baby. Thanks for calling. <laughs> like, Leave me some digits and I'll get back with you. That kind of stuff. Smooth move. That's probably the first thing I remember like recording ever. Um, oh, that's cool. I, I have I had cool stories on here, but that's that's uh, top top shelf. I'm just Definitely. kidding. I know it's way cooler when you're doing real sound design for real. Like uh, nah, nah, nah. The most people. I mean, I've had the the oh, I recorded with my sibling something on tape. Um, I think four times now already. So, and I'm guessing that is also the first time I recorded something. Um, the first time someone asked me that, I I. So instantly thought of, oh yeah, when I got my recorder, I recorded this like thunderstorm. But then later on it was, I think it was with Julie Alvin, where it's like, oh yeah, I, I remember recording that stuff on cassette back then. So, oh yeah, that was it. So I'm, I'm guessing for a lot of people, that's actually the first recording is like playing around with, with technology as a kid. But it's interesting um, then how people get from there to somewhere else um, and, and what they find interesting about the recording because everyone does something different. And for you, Obviously, it's like it still got into the podcast thing. So that's something that you like to do, like talking with people. For other people, it was like, oh, the nature sounds that I recorded. That is interesting. Can I do more of that? So it's it always goes in, in different directions. And that's that's interesting to me. Yeah. And if you count video, I mean, you know, we were doing stunts. Like we were jumping skateboards off the roof into the swimming pool and, you know, like slinging each other off the backs of golf carts in my grandma's big, you know, field and stuff like just trying to be funny. That was the main thing is we just wanted to be funny so bad. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's interesting. It's a really good question though, because it really makes you kind of think about, you know, 
what where where was I at that point in life? Like why did I pick up that recorder? Why did I want to record that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I pride myself on having at least one uh, of having at least one interesting question in my <laughs> podcast episode every time. So that's the one usually. Yeah. No, and uh, speaking about I mean, speaking about the world of sound, what what is your how important is sound for you? What what does sound for for your experience in media generally or in life? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely not what I would call an audiophile. Like, I am not overly concerned about the quality of the recording necessarily. Although I do appreciate like great albums or movies with or, or TV shows with, you know, where you can tell that the artists put a lot of time and effort into it and like really use that medium to tell the story. Um, you and I talked a lot before even about like David Lynch's films and mm. I mean even like I mean to get back to wrestling like the miking the crowd even at concert recordings and stuff like that like the the, the roar of an audience is mesmerizing. I mean it's absolutely flabbergastingly incredible. It's uh, it's intoxicating. It's uh it's, it's a great indulgence of mine if you can't tell. I'm a bit of an attention whore in that way <laughs> so, but I, I love that stuff i, I love uh i, I just I, I love music but again like uh i'm just as into something like a burzum album where it's just recorded on like a microphone pilot's hel you know uh, helicopter like a helicopter pilot's microphone and it sounds like absolute garbage but that's the point that's the sound that he wanted for that album um But I also love, you know, Steely Dan. I like the guys with just absolutely incredible studio work. And I feel like it's a somewhat of a lost art uh, due to things being digital, like from Pro Tools on. I feel like a lot of music sound engineering has kind of gone out of the window. Whereas if you go back to the Led Zeppelins of the world, the Steely Dans of the world, like the, those – Jimi Hendrix was more, I mean, he was a wizard on the guitar, but he was a studio wizard too. I mean, like that he would do things in albums that were absolutely impossible to recreate live. Uh, so music really is like a big, big part of it for me. Yeah. That's the same for me. And I mean, you introduced me to great music. I'm, I'm just like on the top of my head is, of course, Billy Strings. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I instantly fell in love when you showed me that that one track, um, Tinfoil and uh, Turmoil and Tinfoil. Turmoil and Tinfoil, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I bought the album, and I now have the vinyl, and I hooked my dad on the music, so it's like, it's amazing music. But yeah, I felt like in, in the recent years, um, like this lost, lost art, not lost art, but this art form has come back, and people are more inclined to use like different microphones, even like old microphones, but also like not then ruin the recording by putting a lot of digital effects on it, and oftentimes keeping it raw and, yeah, you would say maybe even shitty at some, to keep the personality of that style. And um, that's also something that's also interesting to me. That's also, of course, I, I that's what I do with the Call of Sargon sound, where I will try to find something that's old schooly but tr uh, still hi-fi and not do it with some kind of effect, but use an actual microphone that that produces that sound. Because, yeah, that's that's what I like, like the the raw ones and the experimenting. And I feel like there there's a couple of albums, new albums that also do that. But you have to find them and you have to find the artists. But yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. So, like, in a Freudian sense, even like, why do you think you're such uh, an audio-oriented human being? Like, what happened to you when you were a kid? Mm. 
that made you think that like, or that put that feeling into you that this is the most important of the five senses or six or seven, if you want to get crazy about it. But yeah, <laughs> that is, that is an interesting question that I've been asking myself. And to be honest, I don't have a good answer, but I'm guessing it's, I've always been like a, a sensitive person and been bullied and stuff like that, but I have been very sensitive to a lot of senses and yeah, you're a pussy, also taste. <laughs> no, also also taste buds for example it's like um sometimes i taste something and like a very certain specific texture and specific order of like i don't know tastes is so pleasing to me and i ask other people how they liked it and like yeah okay that's that's nice it's a bit sour and i'm like no it's not just sour it's like and it, then it crumbles and then it has this and like I, i'm very sometimes i feel like i'm hyper aware of some things and for sound this is something that came through music. When when I first realized that the shitty Walkman I had was like, it was very shitty. <laughs> the, the quality was very shitty. And then I got like the next upgrade or listened to something on, on someone's stereo or in, in, I think at a school friend's house at the parent's stereo or something, we watched a movie, maybe that. Like I, I remember some key moments where it's like, oh fuck, that sounds amazing. That sounds like I'm just in that movie or that I'm that sounds like the person is playing the guitar right in front of me and then like me obsessing over details I mean I was the kid the Radiohead kid of course that makes total sense for me but like listening to Radiohead and listening to albums and all those little details and those crafted sounds and those I don't know you, you have those things in there that doesn't serve a purpose for the music but it sets the tone and it's it's so sometimes it's so rich and it's such a such a world and it's it's yeah making images in my mind go wild and uh, yeah I, I think i don't know maybe because i listen to a lot of music and and hid myself in music and video games that's why my where my love stems from but i have no idea no what I, one of the things that i always appreciate the most about when we're when you and i hang out is like you appear to have this kind of an insane ability to like you'll notice something that no one else notices and really appreciate it and like take a moment to like stop and be like when you were in Albor most recently and it was you and me and neighbor all crashing on my couches and shit at the apartment and maybe we maybe we altered our our uh our consciousness a little bit perhaps and, but we all just went like hiking out and like we were going across this giant field and and uh it was like but kind of between and no one knows the geography of Albor, but like between a group of buildings where it was just a big grassy field with hill, hills and stuff. And we're standing on top of the hill and I'm thinking about my own psyche. Like I'm a very, like if we were, you know, if you and I were to go to war, you might be like the strategist. I'm the guy who's like carrying the flag into battle. Like I see the, the other side and I'm going straight there. And you just like grabbed me and stopped me and Nave, and you were like, stop. I'm like, what? And you're like, uh, just take a moment, just like breathe and like listen to the sound mm. of like the wind and the birds chirping. And I was like, <sighs> and it really took me back because uh, before, before I joined the Air Force, which is where I think I got a lot of this kind of like really direct mission oriented ADHD-ness from, I, I did, I, I would spend every day just like sitting outside in, in nature, like meditating and like listening to birds chirp and bugs and, and water. And, and I just love that stuff. And, and you kind of brought me back to that moment, but it's just not something that I think about nearly as much as I think I ought to. 
And for you, that's like your whole career. <laughs> yeah, that's basically like the, the active listening. We had this on the show a, a couple of times now, but that's something that also a lot of people always say like, oh yeah, and it's really, it brought me back to, to my childhood or it brought me joy and it's something that everyone should do even if you're not a sound designer. And it, it's really true because, yeah, you, you connect much more with nature, especially through, through sound. And I think... Um, I think it's especially sound is much more powerful than vision because even in the blackest night you can hear the predator coming and even if you don't see it. So I, I'm I'm thinking, and this is me with my pseudo-science knowledge of not knowing anything except checking out Wikipedia articles at 3 a.m. when I'm in a deep rabbit hole and want to know how senses work or something. But I'm that is my in my mind that is why sound will always be superior to visuals and um, there's there's so many I don't know so many different layers to it. There's also smell too. Like, yeah, there's also smell too. Of course, yeah. smell is also something that that evokes a lot of stuff. Smell is old. That's, the olfactory glands are like way embedded in our in our you know in our evolution. So like the ability to smell something can really like if you walk into a kitchen and there's like mm, that smells like jambalaya like. <laughs> You know that could really take you back. <laughs> yeah, or it's a specific it's a specific spice that reminds you of your childhood, and it's like, oh fuck, that just smells like at my aunt's, or yeah. something. That it's yeah, yeah. That that's something that absolutely, absolutely uh, powerful. Um, so we should do a podcast next about smells. <laughs> Hopefully, when the technology is good enough, so we can actually smell the podcast. Yeah. yeah, the the, the sniff cast or something. Sniff like cast, that. yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I think I'm also a very uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly an auditory learner. Like I much prefer to learn through conversation with talking to people or by listening to audiobooks or podcasts or something like that. Because I, like I said, the, the attention deficit shit really kicks in and I want to be doing stuff. I want to be running or walking or cl doing the dishes or clean or what it, working out, something like that. And I'm just digesting information as it comes in at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like if I hear a song or if I hear a, a person's voice or a conversation or something, like even a phrase, and it will take me, I'll remember exactly, exactly where I was the last time I heard it, nearly every time. Like it will put me right back in that moment. How many songs are like that, you know, where it's like, yeah, oh, you hear the song and it's like, oh yeah, this was playing the first time I made out with my girlfriend mm. or whatever. Like, yeah. There's so many examples of that. Um, a good example for me is every time that I hear the song Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz, I remember sitting in my dad's truck on this hill uh, that kind of like overlooks the driveway where my, my family's kind of homestead is. And we were about to just, we were about to take off and go home, but I just remember that song playing. And it was just like this kind of, I was really young. I was maybe like seven or eight years old. But I associate that sound with like a time when I was happy, like before anything bad had ever happened to me in life, you know, before anything went wrong. And then shortly thereafter, my life got very complicated, but that's a whole different story for a different podcast. But, you know, it just takes me back, it takes you back. So I'm going to have to invite you again for that in-depth story if you <laughs> want to share. Oh, anytime, bro. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, speaking of all the the audio and games, um, so what do you look for in 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 a game? Either the one you play or the one you, I mean, you used to produce, um, or you market. Is this something where it's where where you're like aware of it, or where it's like 
Yeah, I don't give a fuck if it's if it doesn't sound good. Uh, at least it's fun. That's that's something. I think it's more about like does it does it like does it serve the purpose? Like it's like a, a musician in a band. Like I don't necessarily need you to be the best bass player. Like I don't need you to be less Claypool. I need your bass playing in this particular moment to serve the song that we're making. And for video games, it's like I need the sounds that you make to serve the story we're trying to tell or the experience we're trying to have. So like I don't really care if uh if it's authentic. I don't care if it's personally like the highest quality audio recording and the latest technology or any of that fucking I don't understand it and I don't care to. That's your job. And since I met you, it's just like, yeah, just stick Ben on it. Fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> you know, like he'll do better than I could ever dream of doing. So like just do that. And that's kind of like how I operate in general. Like I want to find a guy i'm like hank hill you know that's my propane you know that's my he's my tire guy i do business with that when i need a tire i go to that guy you know because that's your expertise that's your field yeah and foley uh and foley <laughs> rim shot but no like uh one of the best examples i could give you is hyperlight drifter um uh i think that disaster pieces work on that game is absolutely incredible the sounds of the heart beating uh, that come up as you you know get more and more anxious in the game, and it's all super complicated and dynamic. Uh, they really put a lot of effort into it, and a lot of that is literally him foleying like his actual heartbeat through his wrist with a stethoscope, or you know stuff like that. It's incredible, and it, that is such an emotional game. I know that the, for the developer, uh, you know who was actually going through kind of a scare of potentially dying of heart failure, and my mother also went through that too. It was a that game the audio in that game and, and the whole thing itself, but specifically the audio is so visceral, so beautiful, so well thought out, so, so complex and yet so simple. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, it's the same. It's, it has to, it has to evoke something in me. It has to make me feel something and uh, yeah, it has to fit the project. So also for movies, I, I mean, but for me, it's, it, it goes even further, of course, because I oftentimes I will go explicitly into the theater um, especially nowadays, with um, with the 3D audio, um, and just go to a movie and see it because of the sound. And I I remember we were when we were in Alberg, we watched Oppenheim in the cinema, and I remember sitting there and thinking about, like in the beginning, like oh fuck, the cinema audio is is shitty. It's really shitty, but I can feel that there's amazing sound in there. So. I, when I when I went back home, the first thing I, I said to my wife was like, "Hey, we have to see this again in a good cinema because a the, the movie was amazing and b I'm pretty sure the sound was amazing and I want to experience it." And I didn't, yeah, I didn't regret it one bit because it was absolutely stunning. It was one of the few movies that is, I would say, a decent volume and not this every like twenty minutes there's some loud bang or something. It yeah. was a decent volume, but in key moments, I think two maybe max three moments it was very loud for a short time and it made it so impressive because yeah that that's something that i really enjoy when when someone really understands dynamics and and does that because uh oftentimes movies are either all the time too loud or they have this like muddiness to them where it's like they're decent volume but nothing sticks out and yeah, you're just a snob, dog. Like, I, yeah, pretty much. I, yeah. The, what I like about being me and not you is that at no point during that seeing Oppenheimer in that theater did I think this sound kind of sucks or anything like that. I was just like, what a great movie! I'm having fun the whole time. <laughs> not one moment was wasted on 
I wish this was better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I'm, I'm that way about a lot of things. It, yeah. it was a fleeting moment, but it's, it's, it's true that the problem is, um, I always hear that from composers that um, a very good friend of mine, uh, Jay, um, told me once that I shouldn't learn music theory because I can't enjoy music anymore. And it's like, it's like this, if you have this certain set of understanding of what sounds good and how something is supposed to sound and how it makes you feel and how it, like the first time I, I had my, my home studio finished, like, and my, my great, uh, my great setup with my headphones and I listened to one of my favorite songs. I almost shed a tear because it's like really, it felt like angels pouring honey in my ear. It was like visceral and very, I don't know. It just felt unreal how good it sounded. So when you have a certain like status and expectation of sound quality and then you have this, then it ruins it. And like MP3s now, like old MP3s I have from my youth, there are some songs that I used to love and I cannot hear those MP3s. It's such shitty quality. It sounds like uh, I know how it is supposed to sound. I know how it should sound and it's It's just horrible. So, yeah, it ruins a bit the experience, of course. <laughs> no, you're just a douchebag, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably that's the case. <laughs> no, I, I really like. I do. I do understand what you mean. It's just in different mediums, but I don't. I, for me, I think uh, to tie this back into like one of your earliest questions that we were talking about, like when it comes to like empathy and emotional sensitivity and all that kind of stuff. I care as a musician, even like, and I understand quite a bit about music theory. I care so much more about how it makes me feel than I do about the audio quality or the technical prowess of the guitar player or the symphonies composition or any of that stuff. Like I would much rather hear Muddy Waters just bend one note that makes me fucking feel his pain, you know? Like when like listen to Manish Boy by Muddy Waters or and just just try not to cry. Yeah, yeah, and if you don't, you're a sociopath. But then you could go listen to Ingve Malmsteen, and I appreciate that stuff too, like arpeggios from hell or some shit like that. And that's all really cool, but it does not have the same effect on me. Like, I when I listen to him, I can feel that he's a deeply like you know, he's a deeply um, insecure man who needs to show you how big his dick is by compensating with his guitar knowledge, his technical guitar knowledge. And when I hear Muddy Waters sing about how He's a mannish boy and he's, I'm a man, like all that stuff. I'm like, this guy got hurt. Somebody hurt him bad and he needs to get that out of his system. And they're both the same thing, but one of them is a much simpler and more straight to the point way of saying the same thing, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have uh, one of one of the sounds, uh, one of the tracks I always used to cry to and I, I probably still have um, the same effect. Um have to listen to it again. It's uh, more cheaper and never an easy way. And for me, that was like the connection of of realizing that when you grow up, that hardship is like part of life every day. And it's just, it that is what it is. And it made me like, I was in a state of, I would say, onset of depression. And it it made it so real. But it also made me feel a bit better because that, I think that's that's always the case for me with music. When I first heard music that made me feel like someone else felt the same things and had the same mental thoughts and problems and and hardships in life that uh that connected with me and yeah th this song was something and it's still dear to my heart and it's still something that embodies for me embodies this 
growing up, this realizing that life is a struggle, but that's also fine. It's how you deal with it. But yeah, uh, I can I can totally relate to that. Yeah, I'm gonna put those songs in the show notes for sure um, for people to enjoy. So listen to all those sounds and. I'm pretty much all out of questions, so the only thing that's left for me is do you have any shout-outs, any upcoming projects you want to announce, anything you want to say to the audience? First and foremost, I want to say, Ben, you, you've been one of my, absolutely one of my best friends that I've met in, in this industry and, and elsewhere. Like for Even if we never work together again, I just think that you're awesome. Thank uh, you. You've really changed the way that I've thought about a lot of things. Every member of our team and in the keep has had some kind of profound effect on me. And that's probably why I wanted to work with them in the first place. Like, uh, you know, I, when I first interviewed you and Tony and, and Damian, I could, I just knew that I have to do anything that I can to help see this project through. And so what I will say is for people to go to in the uh, to call us and make sure they wishlist it and follow along with us as we continue to develop it. Uh, if you're a, Publisher out there and you're looking to fund a really badass indie RPG, uh, we're open to ideas. We're open to your courting, although we will have, uh, you know, we, we will have very specific terms. I'll say that. I'm not going to let you fuck us. Uh, <laughs> Stellar Valkyrie, of course, Bird Game uh, dot space, I believe, <laughs> is still yes. the place to wish list. So, yeah, do that. It's, uh, it's going to come out. Hopefully this year, but I don't want to rush everybody. Like uh, I'm already working like the re the real big boy in the video game industry, so I never want to put pressure on us while we all have day jobs. Um, but I'm really hoping to make a lot of progress on it over the next several months and uh, get that bitch out there. It's a super big passion project for me, like Stellar Valkyrie. Uh, I Chris and I wrote the entire script together, but I, I definitely poured my heart and soul into that story. So I hope that people enjoy it. Uh, on the 3D Realms side of things, of course, 3DRealms.com. Make sure you wishlist Combustion and uh, come in. I don't know when this episode will air, but uh, Wrath is coming out at the end of January and uh, Graven. Uh, sorry, other way around. Graven in January and Wrath uh, in February. So make sure you grab both of those. They're, they're really great games and, and I'm super proud to be part of them. So uh, just much love, peace, love, empathy, people. Read, read Kurt Cobain's suicide note and tell me why he killed himself. That's a good homework. Like, tell me why. Yeah, tell me why. I mean it. Like, just pay attention to the words he uses and tell me what happened. And uh, I'll look forward to your answers in the comments and Ben writing them to me. So. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you for that closing word. And uh, no, thank you again for being on the show. It's, uh, yeah. it's been fun. Take care, people. Much love. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko 
slash field and foley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.